Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Fans, welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alfstead, here with Keith Myers. And we're going to talk uh, Seahawks roster today and a few other things. And uh, coming to- together after uh, a-, a bad playoff loss uh, a week a week ago, it's good to talk again and um, and just kind of get the offseason rolling with you. So Yeah, last I'm week was, was kind of our, our cathartic, you know, get out all of the uh, frustration and apparently we did a fantastic job of it because within five minutes of being done recording, uh, the Seahawks fired um, Brian Schottenheimer. We had to jump back in and, and re-record there. So that was, um, that was entertaining. And, um, well, let's, you know, we can go ahead and start there if you want. Like the Seahawks yeah. are, are still without an offensive coordinator. Um, yeah, so, so uh, you've had a week to kind of digest that whole situation mm-hmm. with Brian Schottenheimer. Was it the right move? Was it the right timing? Russell Wilson kind of came in and gave a, a little interview after that and, uh, you know, kind of gave his uh, tepid support for Brian and wished him well. He was a great guy, all that kind of stuff. But he wanted to have a little bit of input as to who the Seahawks were going to choose uh, heading forward. Uh, all those things are kind of uh, out there still. And, um, it, it just seems like it's a big kind of puzzle and it's not quite put together yet. What are your thoughts overall? Well, he said that he wanted, uh, some input and Pete Carroll came out and said, yeah, he's going to have input. He's going to be a part of the process. So it's kind of nice to see, I mean, Wilson's going to have a say in who his next boss is. I think Um, obviously, right? Yeah. And he should, honestly, um, you know, he's the star quarterback. He's been around for a while. He's been, um, in the MVP talk there for a while this last season and, and all of that. Like he's, he's a guy that he's also, you know, 32 and, uh, he's only got probably three or four, like, you know, this is the most consequential hire other than John Schneider in the the franchise history, I think because of the, the, the position it is that, and the timing of Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson's career and of Pete Carroll, um, you, you, and the windows is seemingly open for this franchise for a Super Bowl. Uh, the roster is not devoid of talent. You would think that this would be a very important hire. Yeah. And so uh, Pete Carroll wants a certain, you know, uh, he wants to attack teams. He wants to dictate to defenses what they have to do. He, and he wants to do that by running the ball but uh, and playing to the strength of his roster and his quarterback. Um, but he doesn't just want to run the ball. I know people are like, Oh, he's going to, yeah. he wants to run the ball 80% of the time. No, he wants, no. he wants to use the running game to uh, force teams to play against the run and have run stuffing defensive linemen in there at times. So that and bringing the safeties up. Yeah. And so, so that Wilson can, can operate uh, with some more time and have some more opportunities downfield. And, and it just, it, it becomes one of those things where he wants the running game to support everything that Wilson does well. 
and he yeah, does it was a little wacky <clears throat> this year. It, yeah, you know, we ran, we passed the ball about sixty percent of the time, and we ran forty percent of the time. And I think Pete would like to see that closer to a fifty-five forty-five split. Yep. Not not maybe not quite fifty-fifty, but you know fifty-two to fifty-four to to uh, forty-six to forty-eight percent run. I think is a is a nice blend. You're still going to throw in first and second down if you're doing it right on a you know. Um, well, yeah, because early and downs and so forth. If you're doing it right, you're going to be in second and two, and have opportunities to run the ball for a first down. And so you're going to there you go. You're going to get your runs in, um, and you're going to dic- you know you're going to dictate to the other team that they are going to have to do things to stop the run. They have to defend the run, which means I mean you can't defend the run in yeah. the past. No, I agree. Down, so. I agree with everything that's been said. I disagree with you know uh, the the Twitter crowd who's against you know pete carroll on this and and let russ cook all that kind of stuff it's just a a better offense the better scheme we all realize i think hopefully Mm -hmm. that brian schottenheimer had serious shortcomings when it came to the scheme when it came to calling plays when it came to creativity keeping defenses off balance you know and that was very evident against one of the best defenses in the nfl in the los angeles rams yeah but look uh, what happened you've got to beat those guys they're in our division Look what happened the following week when the Packers just picked that same defense apart. No, absolutely. He gave us a blueprint. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, it's the same blueprint that you and I talked about on the show before and after all three of the Rams games this year. Absolutely. It's run the ball, short passes. um, Yes. Quick tempo. Quick tempo. Get the ball out of Russell's hands. And then take your shots because yes. you're going to be have opportunities. And that's not what Seattle did. Seattle um, went out and they dropped Russell straight back and had him hang in the pocket for five seconds and try and throw the ball deep to DK Metcalf over and over and over again. It didn't work. And it's not how you're going to be a, a defense like that. You got to have something that's going to be quicker and then, you know, get the, get the ball out of Russell's hands, get him thinking about that mix in some runs some power runs, um, get them thinking about that and then take those shots downfield. So Brian Schottenheimer's gone. Seattle's mm-hmm. going to have a new offensive coordinator. Yep. Um, we've got some names on a list. Seattle's been in contact with uh, quite a few folks, some experienced, most of them have been experienced head coaches, offensive coordinators. Um, why don't we run through the list just really quick and, and uh, get everybody updated? Well, the most interesting um, name for me would be uh, Peterson from uh, Philadelphia, who wanted wants to be a head coach, but does not look like you know Doug Peterson's going to get even get an option or an offer. Uh, he's originally from Ferndale up here, so he's local, and just having you know him come in and and be that play caller. He likes to run the ball. He likes two tight end stuff. Um, he was a fantastic play caller, which is why he got the uh, Philly job as a head coach. It's under Andy Reid, quarterback to Green Bay. He's got a Mike Holmgren connection. Yep. Had a, a year there in Green Bay with uh, um, John Schneider in, in a lower end, you know, front office position there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like about Doug. He's a good guy. Uh, definitely had a falling out there in Philadelphia, but took him to the Super Bowl in 2017. Yep. Kind of manufactured a win there with their backup quarterback. I, um, <clears throat> I, I think that he is underrated uh, as a coach. I mean, 
he has done a, I, I think he did a great job until this year. Uh, I think a lot of it is, so, is, is Carson Wentz, you know, yeah. to be completely honest. I think Carson Wentz kind of had a mental uh, break uh, in football this year, and it really had a, a detriment, uh, detrimental effect on yep. his play and on the team and on the coach, obviously, in the end. I will say that, um, so he is one. Um, another one would be uh, Anthony Lynn, um, who was the, the Chargers coach. Um, the know, Seahawks have talked to both these guys. They, they have, um, and they've talked to Adam Gase, uh, the former Jets head coach, um, which I would I would hate to see because, one— I think that's the consensus. He's, he's, <laughs> he, he hasn't been good— um, his offense, regardless of what bad. he, um, regardless of what he's like as a play caller, I just think it, it, managing human beings, he's, he's not good. Yeah. And specifically, uh, one, uh, Jamal Adams and, you know, the star safety for Seattle. Uh, and he really did not get along, did not see eye to eye. He would take that very, he would basically want out of Seattle if Seattle hired Gase. Yeah. I don't, I don't so. get it. I, I don't even understand like the, the reach out or the interest at all. Um, just based on everything we know outward. Now, of course, of course, Pete has got relationships all over the league. Um, he's obviously knows way more inside information than we are privy to, uh, mm -hmm. re regarding coaches and, uh, uh, personalities and, and, uh, the reasons for, you know, people, uh, getting, fired and cut and behavioral issues, all that kind of stuff. So with all that said, I just don't understand, uh, that particular, um, that particular choice if it, if it were to happen. So I will say this, I don't think any of those three will, will end up being here <clears throat> and it has nothing the to list. The list is getting pretty short. True. You but know, I'm, cause the reason why, the reason why I say I don't think any of them will end up here is because it's simply financial because all three of them are under contract with a previous team. <clears throat> right now they've been fired, so it's not like they CX would have any kind of compensation or whatever. But the way these contracts work is there are um, offsets. And so if, like, um, Peterson's due $6 million this year to not coach for the Eagles um, off of the extension that he signed after the Super Bowl win. So... Um, if the Seahawks hire him, let's say they pay him a million a year to be a coordinator, which would be pretty high paid for a coordinator, um, he would only make five million from the Eagles and one from Seattle this year because that offset, right? So he basically he gets paid six million a year whether he works for Seattle or f no one. He may decide to work for no one and take a year off because he's going to get paid either way. And the same is true for Gase and the same is true for Anthony Lynn. Um, and that works against that works against Seattle <laughs> in trying to, um, you know, bring one of those guys in. Um, right. If any of them like because Peterson has that Super Bowl win, he doesn't need to. Uh, for a guy like Anthony Lynn, he might want to just to come in, work with Russell Wilson for a year, be made, made to look good as an offensive coordinator um, again, and then, you know, start looking for another opportunity to be a head coach. Well, there's another opportunity right here in Seattle, you know, in, in, uh, in, in three years. 
Um, True. And so <laughs> that, that might be some sort of an incentive as well, at least in the back of somebody's mind, I would think, and an opportunity here uh, locally. Um, okay, so those three names, maybe unlikely. Uh, Peterson seems to stand out the most in that group. How about another uh, little group of, of uh, coordinators out there that uh, Seattle's been tied to? Well, okay, so another one would be Pep Hamilton, um, a guy who I think Seahawks fans should be familiar with because he's been uh, around the organization at other times. Um, <clears throat> run game, like specialist kind of guy. Um, he's, he's the ex-QB coach from the Chargers, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and so he was under Anthony Lynn. Yes. Um, and so he'd be, he'd be taking a promotion into this, but he's a guy that he's been, um, been a quarterback's coach. He's been a run game coordinator. He knows offenses. And I think he, he spent a year as an offensive coordinator, I think for Stanford, like back in 2015 or something like that. Right. Yep. Um, and so he's a guy that can, um, he's an interesting name and one that I would keep an eye on because he definitely has a chance to come in and, um, and take that role and, and, and roll with that. Um, and then the other name that for me that makes probably makes the most sense would be a guy who's already in Seattle. And that would be uh, passing game coordinator, uh, Dave Canales. Um, he turned down a, an opportunity to go be the OC in Vanderbilt university um, to stay in Seattle. And so now he would have an opportunity to take that promotion and start working towards an eventual head coaching job here in a few years. So that's an interesting one. I mean, he, like I said, he's the passing game coordinator, which basically would make Russell Wilson happy. Yes, it would. Um, but he, but is he the best person he the, for the job? Is he? I don't know. Um, and, and it's hard to know it's hard because to he's know. never he, had a, yep. he's never p- called plays. Yep. That's a big responsibility. He's never, um, you know, we just don't know enough about, uh, him to understand what he would bring, um, I- independent of what, what he's already doing in the, in the passing game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would assume somebody like that would have an offensive assistant, um, to kind of help with the run game coordination, um, along with him just because it might be just too much for one person with that, with not enough experience to handle the whole thing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is we don't know how involved he was with uh, the game planning and that kind of stuff, or was his job mostly teaching. Right. And, and Shadi came up with the game plan and then his job was to get that game plan out to the other coaches and to um, the players and, and make it happen. And from what we've heard about the, the inner workings of Seattle's coaching staff, it does kind of sound more like that. Like, yeah, he was the passing game coordinator, but that didn't mean he did forward thinking plans. It was more, okay, we have the plan. Now let's go implement it. So he hasn't been responsible for diagnosing defenses. Now, of course, any coach at that level, um, in the organization is going to be in film study constantly with other teams, et cetera, bringing yep. new ideas, diagnosing plays, et cetera. Um, so he, he does have some of that, but we again, do. it's just one of those things. You just have to trust the process yeah. with Pete Carroll on that. Um, and that's the list of names that I have that the I think they had uh, Tony, Tony Elliott from Clemson. Uh, I think they talked to him on the phone. 
um, at one point. Um, Saint, Shane uh, Steichen, the offensive coordinator from the Chargers, was mentioned as the first name out. Uh, that was now been almost a week and a half since that name came out. Mike uh, Kafka, the quarterback coach at Kansas City, was a name, but I think that was uh, since withdrawn because he's decided to stay with Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, the, the list is, is somewhat short, and uh, there's not too many exciting exciting names there. Um, so we'll just have to kind of see. We'll just have to just kind of let this thing play out, and um, we'll talk about it when it happens, I guess. So um, can I mention one other uh, coaching thing that had nothing to do with C- – well, it has – it's not about the Seahawks. Um, indirectly. Indirectly related to the Seahawks. That the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Dolphins have uh, promoted Lemuel Jean-Pierre uh, to be their offensive line coach. That's cool. Um, backup center and guard with Seattle. Undrafted player. Uh, played for six years in Seattle. Made, I think, 17 starts. Played significant... Um, uh, snaps in both Super Bowl seasons. Um, never really got a chance to break into the, uh, you know, as a starter. Um, did come in and rescue Seattle uh, the year that they went with um, a defensive lineman as the starting center and then cut that short <laughs> halfway through. Um, he was, you know, on the street and came, you know, basically re-signed and came in and started and, and, and saved the, the team there. Uh, but he retired in 2016, um, spent a year as an offensive, uh, line assistant coach under Tom Cable here in Seattle, then moved with Cable to, um, Oakland slash Vegas. I guess, no, he never did go to Vegas cause it was just Oakland. And then he was, he's been with, uh, Miami for a year and then, uh, now is going to be their offensive line coach, and apparently he is gained That's a pretty reputation. Fast rise. Yeah, he's been gained a, a a reputation for being a good teacher, a good teacher of technique and skill, and very good communicator, and um, a guy to watch as uh, someone who's going to climb the coaching ranks fairly quickly. So interesting uh, connection, wow. and g- great for him. I mean. Really nice guy, really uh, hardworking guy, guy that didn't necessarily have the athleticism um, to ever make a huge impact as a player, but got by by being really smart um, about football. And so it doesn't surprise me one bit that he's being successful as a coach. Nice. I like that. That's a great story. A couple other coaching things that are completely indirectly related to the Seahawks as well. Robert Sala, the previous defensive coordinator of the uh, San Francisco 49ers took the head coaching position at the New York Jets, leaving the 49ers and the NFC West. Also, the hated defensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams, Brandon Staley, took a head coaching job with the uh, LA Chargers out of the division. So we have two defensive coordinators that left the division that that kind of uh, at at different times owned us. I'm certainly Staley only had uh, three games against us in this division, uh, but all three games gave our offense fits. Um, 
and and especially the last one it was just horrible and then uh, of course uh, sela has been great under pete carroll uh, originally mm-hmm. as an assistant on the defensive side of the ball and then as a, their defensive coordinator there with the 49ers did a yeah. good job a couple of fantastic coaches um when the current uh regime in san francisco uh came in both head coach and, and uh, general manager uh they wanted to bring in Seattle's defense because this was like right at, you know, when that's exactly when right. Seattle's defense was dominating everybody at the time. And, uh, they brought in, um, Saley in order to be, you know, one of those teachers, one of those guys that could, could bring, uh, the scheme. And he has done a fantastic job. And if you look just at this year at the talent that was on injured reserve, uh, for most of the season on the defensive side of the ball. And yet that was still yeah. a top, what is it, top seven defense. Yeah. And that's even with an offense that was pretty poor and kept the defense on the field all the time. It was still a top defense. Um, just yes. a fantastic coaching job by him. Great coach, great guy. Um, good luck. I'm sorry you went to the Jets. That's a, But hey, whatever. But maybe he can turn it around. Who knows? I don't know if anyone can turn the Jets around. I, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> oh, I will too. All right. So let's get into the meat of the uh, of the show today, the roster evaluation. We're going to go through the position groups. Our our intent here is to establish uh, what the Seahawks need in the offseason to build the roster and be competitive next year. So we're just going to take a look. Who's under contract? Who did a good job? Who needs to go? Um, we start off with a cap situation that's kind of tenuous a little bit, um, over the cap estimates the cap from the NFL at being $178 million, uh, to be set. Um, although that has not yet been negotiated with the NFL and the players association and and team owners and so forth. Um, and it's expected that they will do something about that, that they will, uh, the current, uh, cap for 2020 was 195 or 198 million, something like that. There's talk of that remaining, uh, the same for 2021 kind of pushing those losses into future years where TV contracts then come into play and, and maybe there's really no loss of, uh, caps, uh, overall cap, um, that would be, you know, would, would affect teams and players. Um, so we'll just have to see how that goes. So, but right now, for discussion purposes, let's use the 178 um, thing just just to get it out there. Um, before Seattle signed all of their futures contracts this week, and we'll go over those, um, we had a cap of about $13 million. And after all those futures were um, put on hold, the uh, the overall cap for Seattle is around $4.7 million currently. Um, and that's with like 33, 34 players under contract for next year. And we've got a bunch of unrestricted free agents and so forth to go through today. So how would you want to start, Keith? Well, uh, you're you're looking at this. I I was looking at, so you're saying that the CX have about $4 million in cap space, four and a half. Um, but I was looking at, at this, and, and an idea of why you and I keep saying that it's, the number is not, the number is not going to be um, 178. Um, because if it is, the Saints are a hundred million dollars over the cap. Yeah. Granted, Brutal. granted, Drew Brees is probably going to retire, and that's going to save. But him he about, still has a dead cap, though. Yeah, um, and so that's going to, but it is going to save them some. 
Um, the Eagles are, you know, 52 million over the cap. The Falcons are 38. The Packers are 28. The Rams are 26. The Steelers are 32. Yeah, but um, that's pretty typical after the season ends. Not to be that far over the cap. Um, and they haven't re-signed. It's not, this is pre, you know, this is, um, they're that far over the cap. They have to cut that much to get down under the cap before the right. first day of the. Yeah. Either the league season. is going to have to do something about the cap or there's going to be a lot of folks out of, out of work. Yeah. A lot of mid, mid to lower level veterans in this league will be, will not have room to yeah. play. Because so when we, so a lot of, remember that this, like the Seahawks have, what is it? 26 unrestricted free agents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, not abnormal. So if you think of like, uh, like the Packers, they have, I think it's 23 unrestricted free agents, um, that they are. Yeah. It'll vary. It'll be vary between say 10 and 30 on on most teams. I would say I'm just looking at the Packers because just because they're, um, you know, they were the one seed and that kind of stuff. They, they had like 23 unrestricted free agents and they're 28 million over the cap. So they've got to get, they've got a shed, 28 million in, in cap space on top of the 23 unrestricted free agents that are set to lose. So now you're talking about losing another four or five, six players. Um, and you know, and you still have to build the roster. Yeah, you still so have to have 90, 90 folks show up, you know, yeah. for camp. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of guys making the, making the absolute minimum undrafted that, free agent type. That's exactly right. Um, and, and the league does not want to deteriorate its quality of play to that extent. And have you know that many f- folks out of work and and uh, lose just that that loss of talent? You'll never be able to get that back, and so yep. it's just one of those deals. So I would imagine there's going to be an adjustment, and they're going to push out losses uh, in in forward years, at least two year two additional years, so that those losses can be um, split between uh, a couple years down the road, and and maybe increased in revenue. Uh, from from a p- pending TV deal this next year will uh, offset that. So we may not even see a, a decrease. Uh, we just might not see an increase for a, for a couple of years um, until that kicks in. So, all right. So let's go through the position groups, Keith, and we'll just talk about the roster, talk about some players, what your thoughts are on um, how they perform this year, what we can expect this next year, and if we should move on or retain, um, all those kind of questions. So let's start at the top. Russell Wilson, starter, uh, quarterback, uh, 4,200 yards, 40 touchdowns this year. Wheels kind of fell off the last, uh, four or five weeks. Um, there was a combination of things that just wasn't all on him, but, uh, he's the, he's the quarterback going forward. Uh, I, there's, there's no reason to kind of question that. I think that, uh, uh, looking at the backups, Geno Smith, Danny Etling, and Alex Magoo on the practice squad, uh, they did sign futures contracts. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about Geno Smith overall? I mean, uh, basically, I mean, I don't see there being much of a change. I mean, you're going to have Wilson. He's the guy. Um, Geno Smith is probably not going to be given an opportunity to come be a starter anywhere. So he has to pick where he wants to play and, and who he wants to play with. And, and that it's not going to be for starter money or even a, like a starter opportunity. So, um, as a backup, does he, you know, what's the difference? Uh, uh, maybe a backup job where the, you know, the starter is bad. And so he might get a chance to play more, but, um, 
It depends on if Seattle wants to go in a different direction. You know, we've talked about it a long time mm -hmm. about po the possibility of developing a quarterback in this um, on this team, and we have yet to do it. Yep. And so we did bring back Alex Mago, uh, which is interesting. They they like Danny Etling. Haven't seen either one of them really, so I don't have any idea what we've got there. Um, Geno Smith had an opportunity to come in a little bit this year on some cleanup um, work, and he looked nervous on his first drive, but kind of came together uh, on the second uh, couple drives he had. So I wouldn't mind having Geno Smith back. It's not going to be very expensive. Seattle's got to watch their cap numbers this year. There's no reason to bring in somebody that's more expensive. Um, so you might as well stick with what you know. Yeah. Um, all right. Running backs, Keith, what are we going to do? This is kind of a big, a big, kind of a deal because Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde are both unrestricted. Um, they both are susceptible to injury. Chris Carson missed four games. Carlos Hyde missed seven games. Um, they were both underutilized and underproductive as far as um, Chris Carson, I think mostly. He averaged, I think, 12 carries a game this year, down from 16 the prior year. Um, and, and it showed in his production, he had 141 carries, uh, typically in a, in a number one running back in this league, you're going to have closer to 240, um, as opposed to 140. And, uh, he had 681 yards, five touchdowns. Carlos Hyde was anemic. DJ Dallas was okay when he had opportunities to come in. He said, I disagree. Electric. I disagree with your, um, your, your, evaluation of Carlos Hyde. I thought he was better than what you're giving him credit for. He had a couple of games where he was pretty decent. And then his yards per carry average in three or four different games was below three. Yeah. But when you're getting three or four carries and you have to look, he at, was getting seven or eight opportunities. He had seven or eight carries a game. Yeah. He was a big, like he came back before Carson and had a couple of really big games and made a difference. Um, was a definite upgrade over all the people that I agree. When he's healthy, I agree. I just don't know that he was completely healthy at any point. Yeah, and I I just don't think he is the type of running back that is going to be productive when you give him you know five carries a game. He's the type of running back that needs to be a starter. Um, now he doesn't have the durability to be a starter, but at five carries a game, you're not going to get much out of him. Uh, but at 15, his production level will, would warrant him to get more. You know what I mean? Um, yes. he gets better with more carries. So I think that, I think he was better than you said he was anemic. I think he was better than that. He wasn't great, but, um, he did pretty well, um, and yeah, I mean, Carson was underutilized, but when he was healthy and playing, he was great. Yes. Um, but that's the thing. So now Seattle has to make a decision on that. You know, mm -hmm. the, the running back, the top 10 running back, the bottom 10, the 10th highest paid running back in the NFL is making $7 million a year. Um, you know, uh, Pro Football Focus had Chris Carson ranked as the 15th best running back in the league. So where is he going to get paid? Um you know, is he going to go out and find a contract? Is somebody going to pay him to play 12 games a year? Um, and, and if they give him more of a load, is he going to break down? Uh, so I would be questioning whether or not a team is, is out there is going to give him any money. Um, I see him possibly coming back on a one-year deal, like a $5.5 .5 million deal. 
to to show that he can stay healthy and uh, be productive in in the reworked Seattle offense. Yeah, and so that would, that's what I would do if I was both parties. I think Chris Carson's going to have a hard time finding a team out there to pay him seven million dollars. Yeah, he's or, also going out. You know, pay, getting five and a half is a five million dollar a year raise. I mean, this last year he made six hundred and sixteen thousand dollars, um, which is. That's below league minimum. That's no, it's not. Uh, it's not below the minimum because he. It's you know, but it's it's his rookie contract for a seventh round pick. You in know, a, it, in a fourth year, that would be like one point two, wouldn't it? Not for a seventh round pick. No. Okay. All right. Um. You know, uh, DJ Dallas uh, is there. Rashad Penny is there. Um, I don't. I could, you're right. I could see them bringing Carson back um, on a one-year deal, but I think you've got when you've got Dallas and and Penny there um, already. Hyde's probably gone in order to make room so that Penny gets more carries and Dallas gets more carries, um, and then you know you bring Carson back, or maybe Carson prices himself out of a job here in Seattle and he goes and signs somewhere else, and then the Seahawks go, okay, well, rather than paying. Chris Carson, $5 million. What if we give Carlos Hyde two and a half and bring Carlos him back? Carlos Hyde missed seven games. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things about being a good running back, especially for a Pete Carroll offense, is availability. I know. You know, and it was it was tough with Chris Carson just missing four games, let alone seven. Um, I don't see that getting any better, and the workload would be triple. You Not know? really, because so, Rashad Penny would be, the, would be the number one back. But Rashad Penny hasn't proven anything yet. That's a that would be a tenuous situation for Seattle to enter the year with those two running backs as being your one two punch in a in a offense that Pete Carroll has literally declared this is the priority in the offseason. Yeah, we'll see. Um but they just don't have a lot of money to spend. Yep. So either if Chris Carson leaves and Hyde's not back, um, and you do go with Penny, but you bring in a guy. Let's just say Alec Collins is your is your third guy. I think he maybe deserves an opportunity to come in. And then uh, your but your number one or your number two guy is either a draft pick or a free agent signing to replace Carlos Hyde. So you get you spend like uh, three three and a half million dollars on a on a back that that might be out there that could come in. Say a I don't know if Kenny and Drake would take uh, that kind of money, but Todd Gurley's out there. You could probably get him for, you know, five. Um, Mike Davis is out there. He's 28 years old. You could probably get him for around three, um, three and a half. He had a great year this year. Um, you know, there's some other guys out there. Uh, Kalen Ballage is uh, 26 years old. Um, didn't Hasn't really worked out in the league. Hasn't had a lot of opportunity. I remember being uh, kind of excited for him in the draft when he was available as being kind of a bigger guy, 225 pounds, 6'1". Um, that could carry the rock. Um, you know, I just think there's some options out there. I don't know that we necessarily need to be married to Chris Carson. You know who else is available? James Conner from Pittsburgh. He hasn't had a tremendous uh, couple years after his rookie uh, year, but uh, he's a guy that you could um, share a workload with. And I think he'd be very productive for you. He's like 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Just some ideas. Yep. So, all right. Any Anybody else? that any anything that you're concerned about with with the way the running backs are made up right now 
Because um, you've got it, you've got uh, Travis Homer there. And no. He hasn't really done anything. To DJ me, Dallas. To me, it comes down to um, who the offensive coordinator is. Because if you need a guy who can um, catch the ball out of the backfield and do some things, you know, be more. Uh, the way J.D. McKissick was a few years ago. Be more DJ wep- Dallas could do that for you. Be more weapon than uh, running back. Um, that might be where you get Travis Homer involved more. But yeah, other than that, I'm not... I like D.J. Dallas in that role better than Homer. I mean, D.J. Dallas had 17 receptions for 111 yards and a touchdown. Very Homer, limited playing. Homer game. didn't have any. Yeah. All right. Um, wide receivers. You're going to skip fullback, huh? Well... <laughs> Nick Ballore, I tell you what, Nick Ballore had a uh, a the the lowest pass block grade I've ever seen on Pro Football Focus of yeah. three three point three pass block grade. <laughs> Nick Ballore, a forty one point six overall Pro Football Focus grade. I think Nick Ballore's done with the Seahawks. I don't know that he's going to be back. I just and and the reason I say that is I honestly think maybe they have a fullback in two thousand twenty one that could actually take some. Yeah. take a role as a fullback in this offense we'll, and we'll see what, what develops. But I know like uh, Peterson, for example, uses two tight end sets. Occasionally he'll use a fullback. Um, Anthony Lynn, I think the same thing. So we'll, we'll see how, how that goes. I want to um, I, 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 the Seahawks haven't had a fullback since Max strong. I mean, a, one that's worth writing home about, you know what I mean? And it's been a long time since Max Strong played. Can we get a player at that position to? I would um, like that. You know, just be solid. I know. Okay, people will say Michael Robinson, and that's probably fair. I should have. Should, I should Michael Robinson was a was a good player. Yeah. Um, but to me, the last great one was Max Strong. Um, and before that, it would be John L. Williams. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? Um. That that's what I'm what I'm hoping that they do is just get someone that you can depend on to pass block. To you know, run if you're going to have one on stuff. the roster, he might as well be a weapon. You know, so if you're going to have a guy on the roster that's going to take up spot, play special teams, you might as well have a weapon as well on offense. The 49ers <clears throat> have one in Kyle Huszczyk. Exactly. I, I would love for Seattle to have a guy like that. I think you can line up all over the field on offense, but he's a fullback and, and does fullback things on top of that. And yeah, exactly. Love to see that. All right. Wide receivers. Uh, we got three under contract, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Freddie Swain, Tyler Lockett is, uh, on the last year of a, um, of a four year deal. Mm-hmm. He's making 14.9 million. Um, he's actually only like uh two, 2.2 million of that is guaranteed. So he's got a huge chunk of money sitting there, uh, that the Seahawks could restructure to get some, some cap savings um, if they so chose to do and extend Tyler Lockett. Um, so there's an opportunity there. And I would, uh, I would, I would be, I would be happy to see that happen because he's a guy that um, has been very productive, very good, very steady, had some injury, you know, here, here or there, but he played through them. Um, yeah. And to get him locked up long-term, uh, to drop his cap hit, but also, you know, extend him. That would be nothing but a win for Seattle. Yeah. It'd be nice to have another outside weapon uh, that had some speed that could stretch the field a little bit and, and play Tyler Lockett straight from the slot all full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, Tyler takes a beating. over the middle. It's just brutal. 
Um, DK Metcalf, he's got two years remaining on his deal. He had a great season. All pro. Um, just tremendous, really. Uh, fulfilled every expectation. Pro. Yeah. Freddie Swain, brand new rookie this last year, had uh, 13 catches, 159 yards, and a couple touchdowns. I thought Freddie Swain looked look great. I'd love to see Freddie get an opportunity to return some kicks just to give him more opportunities mm-hmm. with the ball in his hands and open space. I think that would be a good thing. When I was looking at stats, um, I was surprised that he had 13 catches and not like 20 or 25 uh, because it seemed like he was involved more than 13 I think catches. later in the season he was. He kind of came on. He really didn't do much in the first half. and then yeah. the second half he kind of came on. Um, David Moore. Uh, this is a decision that Seahawks will have to make unrestricted at this point. 35 catches, 417 yards, six touchdowns. Um, he's kind of one of those guys, though, that he's going to, that, that's pretty much what he's going to give you. He's going to give you 35 catches, 500, 600 yards, and four to, to six touchdowns uh, year in, year out. He'll, he'll disappear on you a few times uh, during the season. Um, and he'll show up big, big time and make big plays for you. I thought there was uh, something going on with David Moore this year as far as like uh, punt returns and, and so forth. I just felt like he was uh, kind of stuck in quicksand a, a few times. Um, and I'm not sure if it was an injury thing or if he just got kind of spooked a little bit and, and didn't really, wasn't really into it. He got replaced eventually on the, on the, the return um, job by DJ Reed um, later in the year. So what do you think on David Moore? Is he worth the Seahawks? bring back on a one or two year deal. I'd bring him back on, on a one or two year deal if it's down near the minimum. Um, and then I would promptly put in a ton of competition to try and take his job away from him because we know who you'd he be is. a good hedge. Yeah. You know who he is and you know, you can get by with him, but you also know that he's not going to make the people around you better. He's not going to make the offense better. He's going to, you're, you're going to get a certain amount of production and that's it. Um, and so I would say, sure, we can live with that, but we're going to, we're going to push you and there's going to be other guys, you know, uh, challenging you for that, um, that spot. So yeah. Including Freddie Swain. Yep. Um, how about Philip Dorsett? Now here's a guy that didn't see the field at all for Seattle. When we signed him, he was going to be this guy that was going to come in and give us 35 catches, stretch the field a little bit, move the chains. Um, he ended up having foot surgery was out on IR. Um, the team said that they would like to have him back. I would imagine that there's some sort of reciprocal situation there because of course you've given a guy, you know, two, $3 million to come and play. He didn't play it down. He probably feels a little bit of an obligation at least to come back and, and give it another go. Well, and he's um, not going to be, he's not going to have a lot of opportunities out there to no. play this year. Right. But he is unrestricted, so the Seahawks would have to give him another contract. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see. Yep. So um, there's a bunch of guys the Seahawks have signed on future yeah. on futures deals that that are technically on the roster right now. But I don't know if we can expect yeah. them to remain on the roster come week one of next year. Right. Right. John Ursua, uh, Penny Hart, Cody Thompson, Aaron Fuller. Right. Yeah. That's not. I mean. I still think John Ursula needs to be given an opportunity to, to be that. There's slot. a reason though, why he has not come up and, and taken a, a snap. I mean, yep. you know, it's just crazy. I, I understand they do like Cody Thompson, um, but we haven't seen him. So we don't really know yep. what we've got there. Penny Hart 
had an opportunity, a couple opportunities to, he, in fact, he suited for what, 10, 12 games this he was, year. Yeah. He was, a, he, he was on the roster to play special teams and he did, I think he had one catch or maybe it was a, an end around, um, a yeah. run. And he had a couple um, tackles on special teams and that was kind of his, his deal. So we'll see if he can make a bigger impact, a larger impact with a bigger opportunity. I don't mm-hmm. know. We'll, we'll see. All right. Tight ends, Keith, what do you, what do you got on tight ends? Well, I mean, um, Olsen is probably retired and off to be a, a, a broadcaster. And, and I think that's a good idea. I mean, to give that guy $7 million was, I think, probably one of yeah. John's biggest mistakes of the year. Yeah, I mean, I understand why they did, because you had no idea um, what was going to happen with Disley and whether he was going to be able to play. Um, and so they really wanted to have that. And you know, he was pretty good. I mean, was he $7 million good? Probably not, but, um, he, he did his job and that was fine. Um, but Will Disley took over and, you know, was the starter and was the guy, he may not have gotten any of the press or any of the notoriety, but he was the guy who got the play, right? He got the run on the field and he did so mostly as a pass blocker well, and mm-hmm. as a run blocker. Um, he essentially was right tackle for a chunk of the, of this year in the second half because they weren't getting much out of their, their right tackle. Um, and so they had stuck Disley next to him and, and said, here, you know, good luck. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, and, and Disley did, 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 did really well with that role. Um, he's such a, he's such a well-balanced player in terms of, um, blocking and as a receiver. And so he could handle it. Um, Behind him, you know, he's Colby Parkinson. He's going to be your pass catching specialist, the six seven rookie who didn't play much this year, had um, that broken foot, so he missed a big chunk of time uh, in the early in the season, and then just never worked himself into the rotation. And then the only one left um, on the roster besides that is you know futures contract guy uh, Tyler Mabry, and no idea who that is. Um, Jacob Hollister is it's more of a blocking guy. Yeah, Hollister is out there as a, a guy that might come back, but he really did not live up to what he did the previous year. Um, he just was kind of a disappointment this year. So yeah, I, I thought the whole tight end group was kind of down. I mean, when you combine all their totals, they look okay, but everyone had 24 catches. Like uh, Disley had 24, Greg Olson had 25, Hollister had 25. They all had 200-plus yards and a, and a couple handful of TDs. Um, I was a little bit surprised uh, on Disley's production. I thought he would have been a little bit more productive for the Seahawks this year, considering the first two years when he was on the field before he got injured, he was ultra productive. And um, maybe they were just kind of easing him back into the whole running route things and, and kind of taking it easy on that Achilles a little bit this year. So that's, we'll see how that goes. See, that's not what I saw. It wasn't that they were taking it easy on him. It's that they were asking him to block and to, um, to, to do that and just not giving him the opportunities. And I think, and the blocking is the harder of the two jobs. Um, and so to me, it was like, there was like, it was like, no, he's healthy enough. So we're going to give him this really hard task and ask him to do it. And he did pretty well. Um, but yeah, I mean, all told you know, with the, the, all three of the guys, it was like, eh, kind of, um, Disley just got the least number of opportunities because he was always asked to block. The other two guys ran a lot more routes. All right. Offensive line. Um, there's seemingly two opportunities um, on the roster for either uh, new starters or to bring the guys back that we 
had, but uh, two guys that were starters are unrestricted. Ethan Posick at center, uh, first year at center, and uh, did a admirable job this year, I thought, uh, fairly even throughout the year. I thought he, uh, played, fo- he played pretty well early, got hurt. Yeah. And then after his injury and he came back, he wasn't as good. Um, yeah, Pro Football Focus had a grade on him of 59.8, which is slightly below average. 27th out of 37 uh, possible centers in the league was his ranking. Uh, behind uh, Ethan Posick, we've got Carl, Kyle Fuller, uh, who's a restricted free agent this year. Don't know if they will tender him or not. And then Bradley, uh, Brad Lund Blade is a, a future contract uh, prospect. So what do you do at center, Keith? Do you bring Ethan Posick back on a, on a prove-it deal, um, or do you give him a nice contract? Um, I saw a couple of rankings out there in free agency where he's like the fifth or sixth uh, ranked center in free agency. So yeah. he could, in fact, get paid by somebody, but given, I don't know who. Given the B.J. Finney kind of uh, debacle at trying to find a center outside of the – you know, the roster and how poorly that worked out for him. I, I, I'm in favor of, of doing what you got to do to bring him back. Uh, I guess if he leaves, maybe you just roll with Fuller. I mean, Fuller was a guy that they kept, um, even though he was suspended to start the year. And then we, everyone just assumed he was going to get, um, get cut once the suspension was over, but he, he didn't, he stuck around and then he got to play and he actually played all right. So, um, you know, maybe you roll with him and, and, and try and develop some guys, um, some younger players. But honestly, I think that you, um, you bring back Posick and Fuller and you let those guys battle it out. Yeah. I think if you bring back Posick, maybe, uh, you do him a favor and you get him a really nice, uh, left guard. as an addition uh, on this offensive line to help protect him. And, um, you know, Pete Carroll did come out and say that the offensive line was going to be a a priority this year to address. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've had uh, Mike Upati there and uh, Jordan Simmons. Both are okay. Upati's a little better when he's healthy, um, but he missed uh, quite a bit of time. And then Jordan Simmons came came in and played well, but he's got an injury history. Don't know if you want to depend on Jordan Simmons going forward to be your your guy, he's an exclusive right free agent this year. Uh, I would assume the Seahawks will, uh, will extend him uh, an offer because um, I think he is a serviceable backup. I just yeah. don't believe that he's going to be a starter. Exclusive so right free agent he... means he either plays for the minimum or he doesn't play at all. Uh, and that those are unless of, they relinquish that. That's what I mean. But um, he either plays for the men or doesn't play at all. Um, and so, yeah, so he'll, he'll be back and, and, and get an opportunity, but you're right. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't roll with him as a starter. Um, the player that's kind of forgotten in all of this would be Jamarco Jones, who the Seahawks relied on at tackle and was kind of a backup there and, and whatnot, but also played guard and can play everywhere kind of on the line, but he has looked good at times as a, as a guard. He's looked pretty, mediocre as a tackle and I wouldn't I wouldn't be against putting him at guard full time and letting him earn that job interesting the other guy that's out there that we don't know yet about is still under contract that opted out uh because of COVID in 2020 is Chance Warmack wanted to be able to come back uh had not played in 2019 opted out of 2020 so he hasn't played for a couple years but he still has a 
contract. Um, it's an unguaranteed deal. So we'll see if the, if the team uh, decides to move on or not and uh, releases him. But um, he's another guy that could come in and compete. And then I do expect Seattle. Uh, this is probably one of the positions on the roster where I see Seattle going out in free agency and, and at least getting somebody to come in and, and compete at left guard mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then possibly in the draft as well to, uh, to compete. I think our first pick in the draft this year is second round pick number 56. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was a, a left guard. Yep. Um, and the only other name out there would be Phil Haynes, who it's now been two injury plagued years where he hasn't played so much promise coming out of college to be mm. the next like dominant Seattle guard. Um, but it just hasn't, it hasn't happened. He just hasn't been able to be healthy. And, um, you know, I mean, Damian Lewis kind of took over that, that mantle of being, you know, uh, the best young lineman, you know, in Seattle. Um, and Haynes is just there as a, well, maybe, and who knows, maybe he does finally stay healthy next year and get it, gets a chance. Uh, but until it happens, the team's not going to depend on it. So tackle wise, um, Dwayne Brown, he's got two years remaining. Uh, he's got 13.35 cap hit this year. However, Mm-hmm. 11.35 of that is unguaranteed. Uh, so there is some room and opportunity there to extend um, Dwayne a little bit and manipulate that um, that bonus money around to, to have a little bit of cap savings if they need it. Um, he was ranked fifth out of 81 tackles, pro football focus. Dwayne Brown still bringing it. Still uh, bringing and it. And the Seahawks, Seahawks need him yeah, um, because of the lack of first-round capital in the next two drafts. Um, Brandon shell worked out this year, probably the best acquisition that John Schneider had in free agency, um, as the right tackle, he's got one year remaining on his deal. Cedric Abuahe was serviceable, uh, but he is unrestricted. Uh, Marco Jones, you mentioned he's got two years left on his deal. Chad Wheeler unrestricted played. Okay. Um, and then Tommy champion has a futures deal on the Mm -hmm. practice squad, essentially. Um, all right. Anything else? Let's move to the defense. Let's move to the defense. Defensive line. Defensive tackle. Um, Jaron Reed has one year left on his deal. Um, It's a pretty bloated deal. It's like 13-something million dollars um, left on that. And most of it is guaranteed, I think. Like six million, seven million dollars of that is guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's definitely going to be back. But he only had a pro football focus grade of 56.5 which I thought was rather disappointing. Uh, well, he gave us some pass rush, but he was horrible defending the run. He also, he had a, he was not good at the beginning of the year. I mean, he had the first five or six games. He did not play well in any, in any facet of the game. And then he really turned on, turned it on as a pass rusher um, down the stretch. It was part of the reason why Seattle became a good pass, um, pass defense team was because of his ability to get pressure up the middle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he didn't, he had a pretty bad set of games early on and then never really, uh, did much as a run defender. Um, they didn't ask him to be, I mean, when you, it was on a, on a, in a rotation with two very good run defenders. And yeah. so they, they didn't ask him to be a run defender. They asked him to get upfield. And so there's that, but yeah. Well, Puna Ford had a great year. 
Yes, uh, he did. Ford earned a grade of 79.8 from Pro Football Focus, the 14th ranked defensive tackle overall in the NFL. Yep. Puna Ford, he's a restricted free agent, uh, which means that the Seahawks need to tender him. So the question is, do they use an original round tender, which is undrafted? That do just, they use that gets a, a right, of re- right of first refusal. Do they use a second round tender, which gives him like a $3.5 million contract? Or do they use a first round tender, which is like a $5.5 million deal or something like that, right, Keith? Yep. Um, and um, that means that if a team decides to extend an offer to him, they have to relinquish a second round pick if it's a second round tender and a first round pick, et cetera. So what do you think they do with Puna Ford? Um, I think that a... I think that the second round tender is probably where gonna, they're going to go with that. Um Simply because there's two parts to it. Um, one is, yeah, if he signs with someone else, he they have to give up a pick. But the Seahawks have an opportunity to match, right? So it's kind of like um, the old poison pill deal. Um, and, you know, where, where if you match the terms of the, the, the contract and then uh, you get to keep them. And so, and maybe they do that with the, original round tender just for that right of first refusal. So a team goes out and signs them to whatever contract and they go, okay, we'll pay you that. And they keep him. Um, I would say it's probably going to go with the, the second round tender because if he, if he signs just a massive deal and they go, whoa, that's just too much. We can't like our cap space doesn't let us. Then they still get a second round pick back. Um, so that's that's kind of where I would expect them to yeah, go. Yeah, I don't think they would insult him with an original round uh, tender. Um, all right. And then Brian Monet's uh, a exclusive rights free agent. And then Cedric Lattimore has a future deal. And Miles Adams a future as well. So those those are two run-stepping defensive tackle types. Yep. Defensive end. Um, LJ Collier's got three years remaining. Rasheem Green has got a year. Benson Mayoa is unrestricted this year. I need to make a decision if they want to bring him back for competition. Alton Robinson had a great year. Um, three years left on his deal. Carlos Dunlap has a year uh, four, left, four, but it's... $14 million cap hit, $10 million. Un- guaranteed. $10 million of it in salary, um, and unguaranteed no dead cap if they cut him. they won't. I, I don't expect them to cut him unless... They absolutely have to. They would uh, have to restructure this. This this number's too big for the yeah. team to just sit there and let it sit when they could leverage it. Yep. I think that and I think I think that's what they do. I think they either um they either ask him to take a pay cut and restructure it that way and, and get his cap number from fourteen down to like seven, or they re um extend him so that instead of one year left, he's got two years left. Um, combined maybe 16 million total, so eight per, um, with 14 million of it guaranteed. So it's basically taking, hey, the money you would earn this year, we're going to guarantee that amount over two years, and you're just not going to make much more <laughs> than, yeah. than that. Well, and um, I don't, you know, Carlos Dunlap came in and he really did make an impact and make a difference, and he made yes, other he players be able to play better. But Carlos Dunlap received a grade of 61.9 in Pro Football Focus. And the only reason, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to pro football focus was, though is a, how is much just of a, that a measuring stick. With, That's it. How much of that was his time with, um, Cincinnati though? 
That's because because when he was with uh, the Bengals, he just straight up was like, not he wasn't trying to help them win. He was trying to get traded, and then when he came into Seattle, he was actually trying to help Seattle win, and you could tell the difference. He was a he was the player that he'd been the rest of his career. So I. I would want to see a breakdown of, of sure. where that grade was earned. Cause my guess is he, he was somewhere in the forties, um, in, uh, Cincinnati and he was somewhere in the seventies, um, in Seattle. Um, Jonathan Bullard, unrestricted Daryl Taylor. has got, uh, either three or four years remaining. Uh, I don't know if this last year season was accrued. I don't believe it was. Um, so he could have four years remaining under team control. He does. Uh, sounded like he came on at the, at the end there, had some great practices. Pete Carroll spoke about that a little bit, um, just to add to the pile next year. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Stefan Sullivan has three years. Don't know what we've got there. Demontre Moore unrestricted Brandon Jackson unrestricted. Don't imagine those two coming back unless somebody like Demontre Moore comes back for a league veteran minimum type deal, mm-hmm. just because that's, you know, Seattle needs to have those guys on the team and a familiar face is sometimes the best. Uh, linebackers, Bobby Wagner, um, two years remaining on his deal. Number two ranked overall linebacker in the NFL, Bobby Wagner. KJ Wright, the number eight overall linebacker in the NFL pro football focus. Great year, KJ Wright. It's strong side linebacker. He is unrestricted though. Yeah. Uh, he, he played out a, you know, a nine, I think nine and a half million dollar deal. Uh, APY. Um, what do you do with KJ Wright? Do you, can you afford KJ Wright? I don't know. Um, you try. You really try. I mean, he he made the switch from weak side to strong side. The strong side fits his um, athletic profile better at this stage in his career, and it showed. He went. He just really blew up and had a great year. And and you know, it just a lot. It's one of those things. He just allows people around him to be better. Um, and I would try and pay him. I'd try and, and keep him. I'd obviously try and pay him less than he made this year. And it might even be a situation where you go, look, we, by all, for all intents and purposes, we probably should have cut you and, and saved that money, but we didn't, you know, we, we stood by you. So give us a break this year, um, and see if maybe he'll take that. Or maybe you sign him on a two year deal and the first year is really cheap and the second year is not. Um, just to keep his cap number down, but also if he does fall off or in, have the injury problems he had the previous couple of years, then you'd just be done. Um, but I'd say you got to make an effort to get him back. He was that good. He he was worth bringing him back. I agree. I agree. All right. So that means you have to make decisions with other roster spots, and we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, Cody Barton, mostly special teams. Um, ben Burkirvan, same. Bruce Irvin went out early in the season. He's unrestricted. Don't know if they'd bring him back or not. Uh, might be worth a look. I wouldn't do it for $5.5 million. Nope. I might look at, you know, a couple million dollars with a little bit of guaranteed money in there for him if he wants to keep playing. Uh, Shaquem uh, Griffin is restricted. Um, what do you think about Griffin as as the linebacker in the linebacker group and what, is, what he brings to the team? And do you, do you put a little tender on him? I put the original round, um, fourth round. Yeah. Just 
no one will no one will sign him and give up that for him. He's been a great special teams guy and and that kind of stuff. Uh, and he's a guy that can play um, a little bit here and there. He's got tremendous athleticism and speed, but just has never really done much when gotten when he got on the field with the defense. He's had a couple opportunities over the years and just never really lived up to um, much hype except for you know, as a pass rusher, not this year, but the year before, uh, in the second half of the year. And even then he would get washed out of, uh, on plays and, and just not really be effective. And then suddenly he would, you know, make a play and, and, and have an impact. So, um, it was very inconsistent is what I'm saying. And so I don't know, I don't know what you, what you do with that, what you, uh, whether you find that to be value or whether you let him go, um, it might be one of those things where, hey, we'll in order to bring back um, his brother, it's part of the part of it's a package deal, right? Um, where uh, Quill only signs if Seahawks offer Keem a a deal, and that's a possibility. It is possible. It, there is, you know, either a handshake agreement or whatever. Um, secondary start with the safeties, Jamal Adams, um, came in, made an immediate impact, got hurt, came back, played even better. Um, as far as a pass rusher mm-hmm. is concerned, as far as a strong safety is concerned, pro football focus has him as a grade of 62.7, which is right in the middle of the pack. As far as uh, strong safeties around the league are concerned, that includes the 86.1 pass rush grade that he had. So he was in the fifties, lower fifties in, in, uh, you know, in coverage and in, you know, in, in defending the run. So what do you do with a guy like that? He's kind of an enigma. Um, he's not really playing the position the way that you would expect and want somebody to play a strong safety position traditionally. Uh, but he gives you a lot of big play type potential. Well, and he, um, so, he does. So what do he's you do the there? He's, he's a great run defender. He's a great pass rusher. He's not great in coverage. You knew, you know that. That's who he is. You know who else was great in those other, you know, in, in other roles, but not great in coverage? Cam Chancellor. You can work around it. You just have to have a coordinator that's going to use them, design, you know, everything set up to take advantage of the things he does well. Uh, and they did that in the second half. Yeah. And, and he you know, set the NFL record for uh, sacks as a defensive back and, you know, made a lot of plays. And when asked to cover downfield, he made a bunch of mistakes. And, okay, let's maybe not have him cover downfield. And I think going into next year, you're going to be okay with that because you're going to get the next guy you're going to talk about back from injury. Um, and that would be Marquise Blair, who can do those other things and be your third safety, your nickel back, but also your strong safety if all three of them are in there. So that way uh, Adams can be more of a rover and, and, and show up in, in all sorts of different places. And, and Blair can be more of a traditional um, strong safety. And, and so you have, you can, you can work with it and, and do a lot of different things there. And I think that the Seahawks didn't do enough of that this year with um, Ryan Neal and letting him, be the strong safety in order to open up um, Jamal Adams to do more of the fun stuff. 
So Jamal Adams got a pretty big number. It's all unguaranteed, $9.86 million. It's off the back end of his rookie deal. He's going to get paid by Seahawks or somebody going forward. Probably going to end up being north of 15, probably 17 million a year. Um, is he worth 17 million a year for the next four years with Seattle? Now you could work a deal at least, uh, if you were to give him a contract extension where you could make the first year cap hit, um, a little bit more palatable for the Seahawks. Um, but going forward, it'd still be pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Do you want that player? Is that player worth it to you in your in your defense? Seventeen's a hard number for a safety. Um, to for me to 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 justify any safety, um, you make it fourteen or fifteen, and I do it. You start to get seventeen, eighteen, and I I just I have I struggle I struggle with the idea that that, that any safety is going to be worth that. I mean, you could bring in a guy like Ke- uh, Keanu Neal, um, you know, instead uh, to to play your you know safety uh, strong safety spot. Um, John Johnson uh, from the Rams, um, twenty six years old. You could probably pay him like six million dollars. Well, you've got Marquise Blair on the roster and um, Ryan Neal on the roster, and both of them played well as you know, as a safety. So you can have a more traditional safety if you want that. Um, That's just a lot, a lot of money is, is going to be tied up there. Yeah. The thing about Adams though, is he's not just a safety. He's a pass rusher. He's a linebacker. He's a slot corner at times. Um, He does so many other things. Would you take uh, a first round, a 2021 first round pick, uh, a low first round pick, like top 10 or top 15 and a 2022, either first or second round pick for Jamal Adams Absolutely. with the cap savings, Absolutely. cap savings in, in a second, in a second. Um, if you, if do you, you think there would be a team out there that would do that? If, if you, I wouldn't need, it wouldn't need, even need to be a top half of the draft, uh, our first round. Um, if you're talking about like the 22nd pick, uh, and then, you know, a third round pick the following year or fourth, round, I would still do it. Uh, and the reason why I do it is one, the team lacks draft picks, um, and they need them and two, the cap savings. And I think that you can, um, go find a dynamic player with that money at a position where they're going to be able to make more of an impact on every play. Um, whether that be a cornerback or a defensive end. Um, yeah. I mean, how important would a lockdown corner be in this defense? Mm-hmm. You know, with our, with our emerging pass rush, even if you take Jamal Adams out, you know, you got other opportunities for maybe Jordan Brooks to come on and, you know, in time and so forth. Um, it's it's an interesting uh, situation for me. I agree with you, I think. I think that I would move on from Jamal Adams, even though I wavered during the season. I saw Jamal Adams play, he got hurt. I was like questioning it at that point. I was like, okay, he's not very good in coverage. He doesn't really play the, the traditional strong safety role for the Seahawks. We have him in a hybrid situation, and the defense is, is really designed around people being in specific spots and knowing where everyone's going to be all the time, kind of a disciplined defense. 
And then he came on and did, he provided all those sacks when we really needed them. And I was like, yeah, there's just no way that we could let him go. And a couple of weeks after the season, now I'm, <clears throat> I'm questioning that and, and looking at the cap and I'm looking at the long-term financial obligation that we would have to sink in and having him play an untraditional role in that defense the entire time and having to kind of scheme around him a little bit and, and then realizing maybe what we could have in his place and spending that money in other areas. And I'm just not sure if it makes sense moving so, forward to sink that much into him. Thinking about this two years in a row, right? Who would you rather spend $17 million on, Jamal Adams or Jadavian Clowney? No, well, yeah, Adams. He doesn't have that injury history. Well, and Adams, he made a bigger impact. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Right. Right. So even though he doesn't play a position which is traditionally thought of as this impact position like defensive end, he had a bigger impact. He was a bigger playmaker. He was a bigger thing for offenses to have to worry about. I'd spend the money on, on him first. But, you know, what if, um, you know, what if Von Miller, who d- didn't play this year because of an injury, becomes available because Denver decides not to pay him coming off that injury and whatnot, and you're like, okay, well, we can sign Miller on a deal for, like, you know, 10 or 9, somewhere in that range, and but we have to lose Adams to do it. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like you can, 17 yeah. million is a lot. You can spread that money out over a couple of guys and actually end up with a more balanced, deeper defense. Um, but at the same yeah. time, he made such a massive, he made a huge impact when he played early, um, even though the defense was bad. Um, then he got hurt. Then he came back. It was a part of the reason why the defense became really good when he came back. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cornerbacks out there. Kevin King, Kevin Johnson, Terrence Mitchell, um, there, Cameron Sutton, um, Desmond King's out there, John Johnson at, at safety. Um, there's a lot of players you can invest in to help your team and help your defense overall than just one player um, with that much money. And so um, Seattle may may find themselves in a situation where they just are backed into a little bit of a corner in a, in a sense in, with the cap and with draft picks and, and kind of leveraging those picks over the three or four years that you would have them under contract. And then looking at Jamal Adams as one single player with that much tied up, they may just decide to, to move on and see what they can get. Um, and I wouldn't be opposed to that. I, I wouldn't be opposed to keeping them him either and giving him a nice contract because I think he, he will affect your team and make you better. But, um, I think three or four accumulative players for $17 million might be a better deal. And we, we saw that a little bit with, with the Jadavian Clowney situation. Um, Okay. Quandre Diggs on a one year deal now at this point, um, 5.5 million. It's all unguaranteed. They may decide to extend him to kind of manipulate that number a little bit. Hugo Amati had a great year. I thought this year playing Mm -hmm. the slot two years left on his deal. Marquise Blair, two years. Um, and then Leno Hill and Demarius Randall are unrestricted. Cornerback. Can't, this is can't, a, I can't imagine I, um, Leno Hill being back. His, no. his time in Seattle is over. I mean, yes. 
this was his opportunity to come in and he's the defensive version of of Haynes. Yeah, this was his opportunity to come in and finally, um, finally stay healthy, and and because he's a guy that hasn't been bad when he's played, um, and but just has never stayed healthy, and okay, go, um you know, go, go take advantage of it. And he couldn't, he, he just, he couldn't stay healthy and he was out again for most of the year. And I think he's done. So Seahawks are looking at a potential fairly decent turnover in the, um, in the cornerback room this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, Shaquille Griffin is unrestricted. Um, he's been our starter for the last four years and now he's has the opportunity to either come back to Seattle or start for another team. Uh, we have to make a big decision there. Uh, does the team, uh, where does he uh, fall as far as uh, salary demands? Um, and uh, how does Seattle value him? And that'll be an interesting question. One of the, probably the top three unrestricted guys Seattle needs to make a decision on, including KJ Wright and Chris Carson. Um, where, where, where are your thoughts on Griffin and how the team values him and where he kind of ranks out there in the NFL pro football focus has him ranked 50th out of 121 overall corners. So he may be higher than in, 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 in our minds than he actually is on the field. He was a very inconsistent this year. was not good early on in the season, got hurt, missed some time, came back, was actually really good for a stretch after he came back from his injury, then uh, started taking some risks and unnecessary ones and getting beat and, and, and was just really inconsistent, had some really good plays followed by a couple times when he got beat when he shouldn't have. And um, I don't know. And it's, is that, is that coaching where they're asking to do different things? Is it just the fact that, you know, he has was playing with no trust in his safeties um, for the last couple of years and having a hard time adjusting to having safety play that he could trust um, again and then finally doing so. Uh, I don't know. Um, and the team's got to look in, into that, whatever. I think that, yeah, 50th out of, you know, like average, um, I think is probably not incorrect for him. I do think that he's, you know, a couple of years ago or you know, not this last this year, but the year before, he was great. He was a pro bowler. Um, and I wouldn't have thought that we were in this position right now. We're like, eh, he's an average player. No, he was a pro bowler a year ago. And then, you know, what happened this year? And why why did the drop? Well, happen? and this and the and the secondary was horrible, historically horrible at the at the front of the front of the season i mean the first six seven games were just absolutely atrocious and then they kind of came on as a unit together um and the back end was part of that you know and um we'll see i mean i would think that the seahawks would be um if if they can get a number down into the you know six and a half million range over two years i would give them like a two-year type of deal i don't know that i would go out four years with him like uh 10 million a year i I don't know that the market is there for him on that. And that may be where he expects to be paid. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll yeah. Have to see. And it might be one of those things where he does get a chance to test the market and see what happens. Mm-hmm. How about Quentin Dunbar? Here's an unrestricted guy played horrible, had a horrible grade overall um, on the have, season. I don't got know hurt. if he had a good game. Oh, I mean, he had like one 
uh, after he came he came back from an injury before he went out for the rest of the year. Yeah, um, we sure, certainly didn't see the player that he was in Washington. No, yeah, I mean he long injury history, never stays healthy. Um, was a good. Player you gotta have to imagine ago. too that off season stuff had to have affected him mentally a little bit. Yep. So um, my guess is he had that off season stuff a year ago. Um, then he had a miserable year where he got hurt and really, you know, uh, struggled and had w- one of the worst cornerback games I have ever seen this year. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine there's going to be much of a market for him. Uh, for him to come back on a prove it deal, maybe one and a half million, uh, saying, hey, go reestablish your market value to where you were a couple of years ago. Um, come in, be hungry, be ready, and let's do this. Um, and then go cash in in a year. I could see him finding that appealing, and and the Seahawks being willing to do that with him. He's always had kind of that history thing. So uh, with the injuries, so we'll see. Um, Trey Flowers, uh, he's got one year left on his deal. Right now, he's not the starter. He could be pressed into action though, depending on what happens with the cornerback room this year. Uh, I think Seattle would be would benefit uh, with the limited cap space that they do have to spend some money in this area this year. Uh, invest in a guy that can come in for you and, sh- and shut down one side of the field uh, would, would really help a Pete Carroll defense. Desmond King's out there, um, which, which, you know, we really liked. Uh, we, t- we chose, uh, what was it? Who did we choose? In, uh, uh, Malik McDowell, right? Instead of, King. He went to Green Bay, I think, the pick right before ours. Uh, that was one of those. Kevin King. Um, and it was uh, it was just one of those deals. Um, but he's 26 years old. Hasn't really played up to his contract level. I don't know if Green Bay holds on to him or not. But he is out there. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's just a, a quite a bit of uh, of cornerbacks available in the free agent market this year. And I think Seattle may may go do some shopping there, especially if Griffin doesn't sign. We're going to be out there trying to find a starter or two, possibly. Well, if there's a bunch of cornerbacks out there, and we know that the league salary cap is shrinking, and a bunch of teams that aren't going to have any spending, or in fact they're going to be cutting people just to get under the cap, um, you might be able to, like these numbers that we talk about um, are for normal years. Mm-hmm. This might be an instance where we see a bunch of short deals just because guys need to play um, and no team can afford to pay anybody. So, uh, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a patience game. You mm-hmm. know, we're all going to have to be patient. Um, the team mostly, but, but us as fans as well. All right. And the back end of the, uh, the roster, Nico Thorpe is unrestricted. I uh, don't know if they'll value him uh, to come back and play special teams or not. He's two, been injured the last couple of years. Two straight years of not playing, been injured. Yes, he's a he's the special teams captain, but two straight years of being paid not to play. I can't imagine that continue. Jason uh, Stanley, unrestricted, didn't really get an opportunity with us. Uh, kind of a converted corner into, uh, excuse me, converted uh, wide receiver into a corner. Uh, Lyndon Stevens is a restricted uh, free agent, uh, exclusive rights. Gavin Helsup, uh, Heslop is a future deal, and Jordan Miller uh, on a future deal. And that, now our special teams guys, Jason Myers, Michael Dixon, Tyler Ott. Uh, Myers is under a two-year deal uh, remaining. Dixon's got one year left, and then uh, Ott's got a couple of years. So 
special teams look good. Yep. So that's that's it. That's the uh, roster. That's, that's the roster. Lots of opportunity for players to either step up, uh, replacing uh, starters or um, guys that have good rotation minutes. Um, there's some opportunity out there to spend a little bit of money. Um, we have to retain, we have to be smart in retaining the players that we really want. Do we want Chris Carson back and what's it going to cost? The same with KJ Wright, Griffin, a few other players. Um, what are your overall thoughts of where we sit right now? I mean, obviously, uh, I need to know where the, where the salary caps are going to come in. Um, where they're, if we just assume that it's that 178 million, this is a team that needs cap room. You're going to see Russell Wilson's contract, uh, reworked. You're going to see Carlos Dunlap, um, and his contract reworked, maybe Bobby Wagner, not for them to take pay cuts, but just to shift the, the Dwayne salary Brown. Cap. Yeah. D- just to shift the salary cap stuff into future years. Um, with Dunlap, yeah, there might be a little bit of a pay cut involved, but it's really more about guaranteeing more money down the road and, and that kind of stuff for him. Same with Brown, uh, in order to create that cap room, if, if the cap comes in at, you know, closer to 200, um, where it is this year, then the team has money to spend and they're going to be frugal and they're going, going to, you know, be careful. They're not just going to go blow it on, on, on whatever, but I think that they have, um, they're not in a bad spot. I mean, yeah, you've got, you've really got, to me, you've got three guys you've got to make a decision on, which is uh, Griffin, KJ, and, and and Carson. And I think of that group, KJ is probably the one that comes back. Um, and then it's like, okay, you've only got four draft picks. So uh, how do you figure out how to replace all these guys mm-hmm. um, with limited cap space and uh, only four draft picks? So go figure it out. So I does that lend you to to think that they would be um, bigger players in the uh, in the lower end of the the free agent market, uh, guys on minimum deals, you know, just to bring in uh, for bodies and and so forth, or or do you think that they turn to kind of the undrafted route to fill out their roster, um, especially the ninety man roster for camps and so forth. There's so many unknowns out there, you know, too. Because of the, because of the fact that the salary cap's coming down, um, and there's so many teams that are so far over the cap, um, that they're going to be like, they're going to be at like 35, uh, or 40 players under contract in order just to get under the cap to start the league year. And then, then they have still have more work to do and all of that kind of stuff. Um, you're going to see, the free agent market being really slow this year. There's only a couple of teams with a lot of, um, a lot of cap space. And, um, so I could see it being a slow year for the free agent market and prices coming down and guys not getting what they want. And, um, the last time there was a situation like this, the Seahawks waited it out and got Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett on the cheap. And I could see them trying to manipulate the situation and maybe getting, um, you know, waiting it out, getting Griffin to come back on a one-year deal, Dunlap to come back on a one-year deal, um, or Kevin King to come in, Kevin King to come in on a on a one or two-year deal, and 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 getting guys significantly cheaper than we would expect them to, um, because there's just not the market out there uh, that there normally would be. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Lots to look forward to. Lots to talk about. 
um, as we move forward through, uh, through all this, uh, next week, we've got a great show. I probably should have mentioned that straight up, uh, at the beginning of the show. Uh, we've got a special guest, Dana O'Garman's, uh, rejoining us, uh, as a guest. And we are diving into a, uh, the GM and coaches show, um, where we'll do some evaluations. Hopefully we've maybe got a new offensive coordinator to, to take a look at and dive into a little bit and find out uh, what that individual would bring to the team. That would be fun to talk about. So, so what are we going to do when uh, five minutes after we wrap this up, the Seahawks hire <laughs> that offensive coordinator, are we going to uh, jump back in and do another, another, uh, uh we should, uh, opening huh? or what? <laughs> or what? Yeah. Who knows? Right. <laughs> who knows? Sometimes that happens. You know, it's just crazy. All right. Uh, find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NWC Hawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. SeahawksPlaybook.com has all the shows and your favorite podcast app is where you want to go to get your subscription and, uh, and get your feed loaded with our new show every week. So until next time, go, go Hawks. Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NWSeahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.